Hey everyone, I wanted to give a quick reminder that in the month of June, you can become a CFB Winning Edge annual Tier 1 Patreon supporter and receive Tier 2 access for the 2022 college football season. You have to sign up as an annual member, and this offer is only available in June, but you'll get 16% off and access to our 2022 FBS team profiles, our 2022 FBS returning production database, and much more. Visit patreon.com slash Edge to learn more and to sign up. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. And as always, I am joined by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. It's Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about some transfer news. We have some, you know, maybe perhaps hijacked from Twitter questions to answer that are interesting in the early preseason, obviously not calling it the off season. And then we are talking most impactful transfers for the season. So a lot to go through. Nick, you have moved again, different States. So everyone who had Vermont on your bingo board, check it off because Nick has moved to a new state once again and uh, living in a hotel for a little bit until your house becomes available because the market's crazy, but you're making it all work. How was the move and how are you feeling? Uh, so far, so good. Uh, I mentioned last week uh, pretty briefly, didn't get into a whole lot of uh, uh, detail about it, but I had the move and also while recovering from COVID, uh, unfortunately, but uh, definitely very, very fortunate in in a lot of respects that it hasn't hit too hard, and and uh, you know, and vaccinated and boosted, and, and uh, so have been fortunate to to get through it pretty quickly. But uh, other than that, relatively smooth so far. I'm used to living in hotels, and uh, actually, Xavier and I uh, high fived out of our airplane windows <laughs> as I was coming east and he was going uh, west, talking to us uh, today from. Washington state. So, uh, we're all, we're all, uh, you know, we, we get around a bit, but uh, moving and shaking. Exactly. It's, it's a busy time, but, uh, hopefully things are, uh, going to be settling down a little more for me, uh, pretty soon. I, uh, I am staying put for a while in, uh, the great state of Texas here. Uh, Xavier, like Nick mentioned on the West coast right now, left coast, best coast. Uh, I love it. There, if you guys, you guys obviously can't see it, but I love that there's a big sign right above Xavier's head. It's family is life's greatest blessing. So uh, I'm assuming this isn't the normal uh, studio that you are coming from. This is the family studio, Seattle studio, the West Coast studio for uh, Xavier. How how are your travels and how long are you going to be on the West Coast? Actually, I leave tonight. Uh, I leave at uh, 1045. I get back at 6 a.m. East Coast time. So uh, nice. The, the the real definition of a red eye. I do. I I did like when I was living on the West Coast the option for red eyes. They, yes, they don't really seem to exist on the East Coast. They don't. But, uh, but you know, you gotta you gotta get somewhere <laughs> where you can get a connection uh, earlier. So I, I enjoyed them. Took a took a few of them uh, while I was out there. And I think I it's an amazing time to come out here. Currently speaking, it's like sixty degrees. 
Atlanta this I mean, week. Atlanta this jealous. week got to a real feel of 105. Oh yeah, I, I feel bad oh, for everybody I've seen on on yeah. Twitter who's like, you know, it's 101, feels like 118, and I don't know, guys. I mean, you know, Vermont might not be for everybody, but it's like 70 today. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, enjoy that 70 now in December when you have to, yeah, you know, shovel, uh, that snow. shovel that snow. That's uh, that's not for me. <laughs> I'm I'm more than okay in the heat. I mean, you, you you feel bad for the people. Oh, it feels like 115. Well, it was 115 where I lived for 27 years. So I'm I'm good. Yeah, I can handle the heat. It's that's that's no one cold. I cannot handle at all. So I, uh, I have been since the move. I have been making a, a couple of plans. It's been it's been a few years since I've actually been to a college football game. Just because you know on on game days I like to set aside the Focus. day to watch as many games as I can possibly. Yeah. But every once in a while, if there's like a Friday night game close to me or, or kind of a uh, smaller schedule, um, I, I might, you know, make an effort. So I've already circled Friday, September 30th pin at Dartmouth. Everyone's invited. I'll be there. There, <laughs> there will be Dartmouth. a handful. That's right. Everybody will be, uh, or, or there, there are a handful of FBS games, but they're not any that probably are going to be uh, impossible to, to catch up on. So I, I do think I'm going to go to that. And then earlier today, I don't know if you guys saw, but they announced uh, the next four or five years of Army Navy. Uh, and in 2023, they're going to be in Foxborough. So Ooh. I might I might have an opportunity to go to a couple of uh couple of games uh, get your tickets today i gotta go to some uh you know i didn't do it at all last year i was still adjusting to the move and everything but i gotta get myself out to some texas high school football games for sure uh you know some friday night lights yeah yeah i mean it's a rite of passage out there it's a requirement for sure. So I'm going to I'm gonna see where some of the big time recruits are playing uh, near my area because there's always somebody close. You know, it's it's Texas. So uh, and, and go see him for sure. But uh, on the show today, like I said, we're going to be talking about uh, impactful transfers. But let's talk about the most recent transfer news. Uh, most recently, you know, last week we told you that Kobe Lewis. Uh, a thousand yard rusher at Central Michigan in 2019 obviously uh, hurt the last uh, couple seasons, but announced his commitment to Purdue when he uh, entered, entered the portal. So I missed all of last year with the ACL tear, but uh, now becoming probably the lead back uh, at Purdue, right, Nick? Uh, I think there's definitely a chance. Uh, Purdue was not on my radar at all for uh, Kobe Lewis. I mean, my, my first thought was, uh, you know, it, it, he had certainly a successful season in 2019, thousand yards, but he split carries every year, basically. Uh, and by the end of 2020, when he was playing, it kind of lost his uh, lead ball carrier role to Lou Nichols. So I thought, okay, you know, I like Kobe Lewis. He's been productive in the past, but it's probably destined for a, you know, P, uh, a G5 spot. And then, I always look at where are they from first when they're in the transfer portal, and and it's not always a, a guarantee, but usually, um, or it seems like more than you know, 50% or so, guys go a little closer to home. Uh, he is a Georgia native, so I thought, okay, maybe you know Georgia Southern or something like that. So Purdue was was a surprise, but I think there will be uh, – you know, potential for him certainly to emerge as, as the number one guy, but Purdue has uh, 
you know, has some experience. King DeRoe has been the, you know, most likely to take over uh, the lead back duties there has been kind of a number one or co-number one the last couple of years. Um, they do have to replace Xander Hobart, but, but Kobe Lewis isn't the only transfer they brought in. They brought in um, a high four-star transfer from Indiana uh, last season, but it, too late for him to, to be eligible to play. But Samson James, who I know had, uh, I believe at one point been committed to Ohio State. So really, really talented guy. And and so there's, there is some talent there uh, in that room, but also, you know, Purdue is, is a team that's leaned really, really heavy on its passing attack in, in recent years. So um, maybe he will, you know, work with that group to uh, become a little bit more balanced, but uh, it, it definitely was a little bit of a surprising move and, and we'll see how it works out. Uh, what what do you think about uh, this move for Purdue, Xavier? Do you, do you like it? I love it. I, I really do. And I think, you know, two, I, I think some of the problems that Purdue definitely ran into last year was their inability to hit the run explosively. Uh, and we had talked about his ability at Central Michigan to be a thousand yard rusher, you know, and, and I think he's going to have a genuine opportunity at Purdue with carries. Um, now, obviously, Nick can tell me where he where you think he fits in on the depth chart right away. I think he definitely has to compete for the starting spot. And like I said, I feel like they need as much as they relied last year on guys like David Bell and Jackson Anthrop. I think this year is a huge year for them to get some genuine production uh, around the skill level and to bring in guys who have had that production elsewhere. Uh, so I think that's massive for them because they're going to need guys who can hit the ground running because uh, one of the major, you know, one of the, you know, they lost so much in returning production as far as their offense is concerned, I think it's really huge that they can get bring a guy in who may hit the ground running. And, you know, I'm not going to say he's going to hit a thousand yards again, but if he hits anywhere from, you know, 700 to 800 yards, then by all means, you know, thank you. Please. And thank you. Yeah. I mean, there's a, another running back move here. Uh, University of Arizona brought in uh former Florida state and Auburn running back DJ Williams. So a uh, little competition there, a uh, defensive lineman, Christian Williams, who contributed at Oregon last year um, and was looking maybe at a starting job this year, committed to Missouri after entering the transfer portal earlier, Oklahoma added former UCF running back Ventavious Thompson to its roster on Wednesday, and then a couple of injuries. Um, Rutgers linebacker Muhammad Torre will miss the entire 2022 season. He was the most productive pass rusher for the Scarlet Knights last year and probably the best player on their roster this year. So uh, that leaves a pretty large hole in the Rutgers defense. And we also learned Wednesday that uh, Wisconsin defensive back Travian Blacklock, uh, Blaylock, excuse me, uh, suffered torn ACL. Uh, in practice in April and what he was, you know, supposed to at least compete for a starting job there. So a couple of transfers here, Nick, a couple of injuries as well. Uh, this is what we get at this part in the year, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, guys like DJ Williams and, and Bentavious Thompson certainly have uh, proven to be talented players in the past and, and could uh, recapture some of the, the, you know, what made them pretty highly sought after prospects uh, in the past. We haven't seen very much of either of them recently, but, um, you know, be interesting to to see. Arizona uh, continues to to just interest me, just the, the moves that they are making, the success they had in the transfer, or excuse me, in the, in the you know, traditional recruiting uh, cycle, National Signing Day, uh, 
real big surprise, but then they've they've hit the transfer portal hard and they continue to basically just cap, uh, you know, get whoever they can take basically. And, and they've got a deep running back group. So I'm not sure that DJ Williams is, you know, not sure where he would fall in the pecking order. I actually put him at the bottom of our uh, five player uh, pecking order in our team profiles, just because, you know, the other guys, played a lot more last year yeah, uh, and it's everybody's coming in real back. too yeah. it is it is and 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 you know they've got they've got more they've got some talented freshmen coming in um so it's it's certainly an interesting move i will be curious to see i, I saw some chatter from uh some might have been a, a beat reporter or, or fan site or, or something that seemed to speculate that uh maybe we'll see some running backs play a little bit more uh, receiver roles. You know, Drake Anderson's pretty good pass catcher, for example. Uh, I know Michael Wiley caught passes uh, pretty well the last couple of years. So uh, be interesting to see what Arizona does. They're just, they're, they're making moves. And, and I'm, we've talked before or talked last week, how difficult their schedule was. Not sure that we'll see a huge payoff, a huge step forward in the win column, but they're certainly a more talented team and a, and a deeper team, and they're adding some really interesting pieces. So uh, we'll see how that works. Oklahoma needed a little bit of depth at the running back position. They've they've addressed that. Uh, but I think the, the biggest piece of news here uh, is, or at least having the biggest impact on one of these teams, is that Torre news that he's going to miss the season. I mean, Rutgers uh, was hit hard by – uh, guys, you know, running out out of el- eligibility or, or you know moving on, uh, specifically on the defensive line and at linebacker, and Toure, who played you know kind of that edge role, uh, we actually had him listed among the uh, defensive linemen in our team profiles. But the fact that he was one of the only really experienced players coming out or, or you know coming back in that front seven, and the fact that he was really good, just really productive. Um, it's a big, big loss, and Rutgers is a team that, somewhat similar to Arizona, has captured my attention at times because they have shown some progress and seem, you know, to have the potential to maybe take another step and become a bowl eligible type team. But when you're losing, you know, arguably your best player at a position that's already really inexperienced. Uh, it's a big, big loss. So um, Wisconsin, I think, will be able to do a little bit better job of uh, covering up, replacing Blaylock. You mentioned he was uh, expected to compete for a starting spot. I, I, when the news came out, I saw uh, at least one outlet referred to him as a projected starter. We had him uh, a little farther down on the, the depth chart because uh, Wisconsin has been really busy in the transfer portal, uh, especially bringing in corners. So I uh, weren't necessarily expecting him to start uh, and think they'll be able to, to, you know, get by certainly hate to see a guy go down and, and certainly miss a, a full season. Um, but I think Wisconsin's probably in a little bit better spot to um, be able to work through losing a player like Blaylock compared to Rutgers who lost one of their very best players, a guy they were counting on uh, big time. Xavier, what do you think of these new these uh, news points right here? I mean, obviously, like Nick said, Teray going out for Rutgers is huge. That's massive. So. 
Like yeah. that, not just for for Rutgers, but obviously for him himself. This is a kid who, with a good year, genuinely, you lock, looked at him as like you know an Arnold Ebikide as far as his production for a team. That that's genuinely who he could have been this year for them. You know, coming off of a year where he had four and a half sacks, like you just you felt like he could have taken that next step uh, going into next season uh, and really put himself as a as a consistent day two guy. Right, like you know, if he, he, I think he's somebody who could have climbed in that into that eight, I want to say eight, eight, nine region with, worth of sacks uh, with a good off season, and would have really cemented himself as a day two guy. And I think he had all the intangibles. Obviously, six two, two thirty five. That's why you know I compare him to Arnold. Uh, but yeah, that's massive for them. You know, so I think that's going to be a, a tough for them to replace, and they're definitely going to fill that hole over there. Um, you know, dire, and and hopefully, you know, I, I hope he's able to have a you know successful surgery. And is able to come back, you know, the following season, and hopefully he does not lose a step because that was one. He was a very, very impactful player. So that that's massive uh, for Travion Blaylock. Kind of the same situation. I'm hoping he's able to recover because uh, I thought he was a guy with, you know, some of what you know they needed at Wisconsin. And Wisconsin is somebody who's you know, turns out good corners every two to three years, and I thought he was going to be another one of those guys who comp- could compete for that. So, you know, I think, once again, I hope he's able to recover. You know, maybe – I'm not going to say he's going to be in a George Pickens type situation where if Wisconsin makes a run, he comes back in, like, December. Uh, but who knows? You know, with modern medicine now, we see guys come back from ACL tears a little bit fa- – a lot of bit faster than yeah. what they used to. So this is a guy that, you know, let's say Wisconsin is, you know, competing for the Big Ten. Could be somebody that you see, uh, you know, like I said, late November, early December – you know, helping them out uh, in the secondary possibly. You know, you talk about guys coming back faster from injuries and it just made me think of like, you know, uh, the, for the first time, I think it was the first time a couple of years ago, a guy tore his knee in like January and was back for the regular season, you know, back in August, September, might've missed a couple of weeks, but the one that floored me the most was Cam Akers coming back. And he obviously yeah. didn't look the same, but towards Achilles in the preseason, and then came back to play for the Rams, like in the Super Bowl and stuff, like uh, in mainly in the playoffs, but a little bit before that as well. So, yeah, there are the advances in medical science are crazy, and it's always hard to to adjust to those new timetables because it should be a year, but sometimes it's quicker. Yeah, than that, and I think you never the most know. Impressive part about what you know, about modern medicine is it doesn't necessarily take you to be a freak athlete anymore for that to happen. You know, we all yeah. remember Adrian Peterson tearing his ACL and then coming back and doing what he did. You know, that was almost six or seven years ago. And it feels like in that time frame, you've gone from, oh, well, Adrian Peterson's just a freak of nature to like, right. no, any, you know, any athlete or a majority of athletes can come back for, from a torn ACL or, or, you know, a ruptured Achilles, you know, much faster than they were. I remember, you know, growing up, a torn ACL was like a death sentence. It's like you tore your ACL, you were done. And you yeah. were never now I don't, I don't want to brag, but when I tore my ACL in 1998, <laughs> <laughs> playing football, non-contact injury on the uh, seventh grade uh, football oh, team. Yeah, wow. yeah, I was I was able to make it back for baseball season the following spring. Just want to you know again, wow. not to brag, uh, but uh, built different. Yeah. Nicholas Ian Allen built different than the rest of the general population. Nick, I love this next section that you put on the, uh, the sheet here. Cause uh, first of all, the, the name of it, the stolen mailbag questions. Perfect. These are things mainly you saw on Twitter that other people were answering that you found intriguing. Is that how you got a lot of these questions here? 
Yeah, I've, I've been trying to uh, interact a little more on Twitter. Part of it's because I'm working basically day and night on our 2022 stat projections, which I'm really, really excited about. But it's it's kind of uh, exhausting at times. And so I, I try to take little breaks uh, every once in a while and, and find myself wanting to comment a little bit more. I mean, we're all relatively quiet on on Twitter um, at least compared yeah. to, to some, but uh, I know the CFB winning edge handle is, is particularly uh, quiet. Only tweet a couple times a week usually, but I, I think it'll be uh, ticking up a little bit more. And some of these conversations uh, participated in some of them. Uh, we had one question that was actually sent directly to us, which uh, certainly appreciate. Uh, and if, if anybody does have you know questions, we'll, uh, try to address them, especially as we start, uh, you know, steering into uh, our preview series. But uh, yeah, so there there were a few of these that I saw out there uh, in the wild, and and um, had some some answers, some conversations on Twitter. But wanted to to pose them to you all as well. Yeah, and this first one I love. It says, if you had to put $100 on a Heisman Futures bet for either Hendon Hooker or Devin Leary, who would you choose and why? So let's start right there, Nick. If you had a crisp C note, uh, who are you? Are you dropping it on uh, Hooker or are you dropping it on uh, Leary here? So my, my answer to this, and I think, uh, you know, I, I could see an argument for either either player here. Um, I went with Leary and I, I do love Hendon Hooker. I, I really liked what he did last year. Um, we've been talking, you know, CFF a little bit uh, the last few weeks. He is one of my personal favorites there. Um, I like the talent that's around him. I think that wide receiver group is, is pretty decent, um, but Hooker is going to put up, probably very, very good numbers. I mean, that's a that's a pretty solid offense anyway. It's the fastest offense in college football, just as far as, uh, you know, time between plays uh, type thing. So they're going to play a lot of high-scoring high games. But I equated Hendon Hooker to who Matt Corral was last year. And I did have some Heisman futures on Matt Corral. And after the first – you know, six weeks of the season, um, it, uh, you know, the first six weeks of the season felt pretty good because he was in that Heisman conversation and at a certain point actually became the betting favorite. But by the end of the year, Ole Miss just wasn't able to win enough for him to really, you know, break through, get to the finish line and win the Heisman. And eventually went to a you know playoff uh, contending quarterback, SEC champion quarterback, um, Bryce Young, and, and who is back, by the way, obviously, and, and should be considered uh, the favorite for obvious reasons. But um, I just I think I'm I'm not the the biggest Devin Leary fan. I, I certainly respect him. I think he's a good quarterback. I think he uh, had an excellent excellent year last year 
um, and really flew under the radar for for most of it is starting to get a little bit of buzz. We've talked before about how Dave Doran is out there now being really very vocal uh, about Devin Leary, calling him the best quarterback in, in college football. And NC State, you know, I, I don't necessarily see them uh, as a playoff caliber team. I mean, they're 18th in our, our current power rankings, but they are a team that has 10 win potential. They are a team that could win the ACC. Um, and so I think, you know, if a few things break in their favor, if they go 11 and one, win the ACC, uh, which is certainly in the range of, of possible outcomes, um, then Devin Leary is going to be probably the main reason why. I mean, the defense uh, certainly I, I think will be part of that. But I think if if NC State really does have a special season, um, Devin Leary is probably going to be the one who gets the most credit. And that is, you know, kind of a, a scenario that gets you in the Heisman conversation. So uh, we we see Tennessee as more of a, you know, eight-win team. And they certainly could uh, surpass our expectations. But they have a tougher schedule, play more um, – you know, just just difficult games. And I think that unless Hooker puts up Lamar Jackson or RG3 type numbers in a season where, uh, you know, the national championship contending teams don't have a superstar, which there are two Alabama players uh, who I would, you know, think are, are going to be uh, Heisman finalist and, and Will Anderson and, and Bryce Young. So that doesn't necessarily seem like this is going to be that type of year, but you know, weird things happen. Um, but I just think Devin Leary is going to have the better team record and good enough stats to get in the conversation. So I just think he has a, a slightly better uh, shot than, than Hinden Hooker does. Well, Xavier, your thoughts and why do you disagree with Nick? Because Tennessee's gonna suck. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, no, no. That's not. That's not why. I, don't. <laughs> I, I genuinely think Tennessee's lack of ability to win games next year is gonna hind, is gonna hinder Hendon. Uh, you know, but that's gonna be an article written by me in like August or October. <laughs> Tennessee hindering Hendon. Uh, Watch. Uh, but no, I, 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 I won't say I don't. I dislike Hendon Hooker. I think he has amazing upside with the way that they run their offense. I mean, like we said, their offense was one of the fastest in college football last year. My only concern is that the rest of the SEC has caught on already. And that this, you know, fast-paced offense, this air raid-ish style that they like to run, everybody from Nick Saban to Kirby Smart has had a full offseason to watch it, to go back and look at it. And will they be better at dissecting it this year to where, you know, Hendon Hooker won't have the same kind of looks that he had last year. You know, they won't have the same type of shootouts that they were last year in defenses, at least to good defenses at least, will be able to, to stop him. And we all know that the Heisman, to an extent, is based, you know, solely on what you're able to do in the big games, right? And that's my biggest concern with him is his biggest games next year are going to be against pretty much national title contenders for the most part. You know, they're going to have to play Alabama at home. They get Georgia on the road. Um, they do start off with Pitt on the road, so that's going to be a big game for him. But my biggest thing is, like, I don't think there's enough – he's going to have – there's not enough Heisman moments in there for him um, that where you, what I would go, yeah, that's going to be – that's, that's going to be the guy I would choose. I would choose Leary. Uh, I, I think Leary is a guy who could very well have NC State sniffing ACC championship, you know, aspirations. And we saw last year with Kenny Pickett, 
that if you get anywhere close to that, and in the in in that fact, you do so by beating Clemson, or, or you know you, you have a really good shot, you have a really good shot of at least being in the Heisman conversation. Um, and I think that Devin Leary and what NC State does have, you know, he's coming off of a, of a heck of a year: thirty-five touchdowns, five interceptions, thirty-five hundred yards. I think he has a really good chance of doing so because I think the rest of the ACC doesn't have. I would say, I would say he maybe he has an easier route to doing it, right? Outside of really Clemson and who else? Florida State, maybe? You're, you're really looking at a team that could run the table next year. Genuinely could. Um, his only issue, his only, the only problem with him is he would have to put up astronomical numbers to do it because of the fact that the ACC is so underwhelming. And let's be honest, we've got CJ Stroud and Bryce Young. Unless you're putting up Bailey Zappy numbers, you're not getting the same kind of, you know, you're not getting the same kind of look. You're just not, right? So unless, he comes in next year and throws 45 touchdowns and five interceptions and throws for five, you know, 4,700 yards. And NC State's an 11 and one ball club. It's going to be really tough for Leary in that regard because the ACC not nearly as hard of a conference uh, and not nearly as uh, won't get the same kind of media attention. It's going, like I said, it would take for them to go to Clemson on October 1st and him just obliterate them for him to start getting that kind of that that, that Heisman role on. Have you guys um, looked at the odds? By the way, because they're both in the odds on yeah. DraftKings Sportsbook, it is um, it, it's sixty to one for Hooker and one hundred and fifty to one for Leary, which is interesting because I I feel like I feel like the more realistic path is Leary, like you guys both yeah. mentioned. I think that's a more realistic path because the odds of them going undefeated are way better than the odds of Tennessee going undefeated because of what Xavier mentioned that tough. Tennessee schedule. Tennessee has got to play. Um, they got to go on the road against Pitt, which they should win, but uh, you never know. We have their favorite. There you go. They're at home against Florida. They they play LSU uh, on the road. They're home against Bama. They've got Georgia on the road. Uh, you know, this is a tough, hard SEC schedule. But the reason that Hooker. It, it has, you know, uh, shorter odds than Leary is because of the stats that he put up last year. He was incredible. You know, he had um, almost 3,000 yards passing, 29-45, 31 touchdowns, so only three interceptions. I don't think that is going to be very repeatable, but that's awesome. Those are very good numbers. To match with the rushing numbers, 618 yards, uh, 616 yards, excuse me, and five rushing touchdowns. He had nine the year before, so he does – he does it with his legs too. Leary had a great year as well. 3,433 yards, 35 touchdowns, only five interceptions. And, uh, but he doesn't run. He had negative rushing yards. He had two rushing touchdowns, but we know sacks count for negative yards. He's just not doing it, uh, in both phases. He's a, he's strictly a passer here. Um, so I think, I think hooker probably statistically has the better chance, but if I had a hundred dollars, I'm going to take the longer odds on Leary because I think it is more realistic that his team goes undefeated. And if his team goes undefeated, especially unexpectedly, it's probably going to be because Leary has a gigantic year. So yeah. I think uh, we're three for three here in that we would take Leary. But I understand. I, I feel like just statistically, I feel like it's more likely that Hooker puts up a crazy, you know, Lamar Jackson year than it is that. Leary turns into Bailey Sappy, right? Can I throw in one name? Sure. Um, off the cuff. And this is just because I wanted to, I looked at the uh, the odds. And would you, for same question, $100, Hendon Hooker, 
uh, Devin Leary or Cameron Rising at Utah. I the, he he caught my eye too when I when I was looking at the odds after mm-hmm. seeing this question specifically. I was trying to think who I would because my mind immediately and I, I think I've said this on the show. I know I put it in uh, John Lobb's first uh, CFF rankings. He has a thing, you know, who's your early Heisman winner? Right. I, I've been saying Will Anderson is who I I think the the sort of media. Uh, he, he's he already became a bit of a media darling at the end of last season. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that that's you know the fact that Hutchinson was a finalist or or you know runner up. I think it helps him. Um, so I, I one was about to make some big declaration about Will Anderson if I'm going to go for a long shot, but he's like fifth on the list now. Like he yeah. was he was way down uh, <laughs> early on, and now he's now he's you know not that much of a long. I think he was thirty to one. But he forty was like to one fifth, right now. Forty to one, uh, but like fifth or sixth on the list, which for a defensive player in the preseason is is uh, pretty crazy. Um, but so I was looking. Okay, well, if I can't be cool and and say Will Anderson anymore, who who would I go for? And I think I landed on Cam Rising because uh, we are a little lower on Utah than some. I mean, we still have him as a, a, a top ten team and, and our highest rated. Uh, Pac-12 team, but we have the Pac-12 being really pretty competitive, and and so right now in our projections, we have Utah actually as an underdog in three games, and you know expected to be kind of a eight and four, nine and three type team. Um, so that's not the type of season that Cam Rising would put up Heisman numbers, but he I think has a very similar path to Devin Leary, where if they do. Um, make a you know conference title push maybe or knocking on the door of a playoff spot uh he's going to be the biggest reason why most likely utah does have um at least a more established running game and tavion thomas could just put up huge touchdown numbers and, and kind of uh drive down rising's counting stats at, at the end of the season um but i i he caught my eye too, Xavier. I, I I agree with you. Um, if I were looking for someone to enter this conversation, it probably would be Cam Rising. Cam Rising has entered the chat last Former year. Texas Longhorn great Cam Rising. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> 20, 2,500 yards, 2,493, 20 touchdowns, five picks. Also a guy that does it with his legs, 499 yards and six touchdowns. And like you said, I got to imagine those three games that they're underdogs in would be uh, at Florida, Week One, USC and Oregon are those the three? Uh, UCLA actually, not USC. UCLA on the road, but all a uh, point and a half or less. I mean, they're toss ups. All three on the road too. Those games, so you know, just a little bit. Uh, if they were at home, they'd probably be favored in all those games. And, and that's why I thought it was it that he has a, a dark horse chance because he has enough big games on that schedule. You come out right away and you go beat Florida in the swamp. I don't care. It's zero zero. It, Florida could be terrible. It won't matter. That's massive. You beat Oregon on the road at Austin, huge. You beat a USC team that you know features Caleb Williams and company. Who cares how you get it done? You know, I just feel like he has enough games on his schedule that people are like, that you know, that if Utah finishes the season, like I said, eleven and one, or you know, God forbid, you know, twelve and zero, now all of a sudden they're you know a college football you know playoff possibility if they win the Pac-12 championship then you've got a chance to be honest I don't know I just think 
if you're not in the SEC, you have to put up just ridiculous numbers uh, to to win the Heisman. You know, uh, I I think you just have to put in the Pac-12 is disrespected by voters and, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people. Plus, you know, West, the East Coast bias, all that stuff. I don't know. I think there's a little too much stacked against rising. I think if I'm if I'm betting on someone out of those three, I'm sticking to Leary. Um, I think. I think my favorite player out of all three of them is still probably Hendon Hooker, but uh, I'm taking those longer odds. I'm just agree with that. You, you're going to more than double up, uh, you know, your profit if Leary wins versus. Yeah. What is Cameron's odds if you can find? Uh, uh, Cam Rising. I just yeah. looked at it. I think. Uh, let me see. Uh, rising like is a hundred to one. Hundred to one. Okay. Yeah. Um. So. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred to one. So. Um. Not great, but you know, uh, right in there. So, um, that great question. I love this question. A uh, couple other ones that, that you have here. Um, what is NC State's uh, biggest obstacle in regards to achieving 10 wins and a New York, uh, a New Year's Six ball? Excuse me. Um, and that was sent to us by three hopeless fans. I love that name. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, so w- what do you think, Nick? What is NC State's biggest obstacle? to uh, getting in a New Year's uh, six? Uh, for me, you know, personnel-wise, I think it's the sort of top-end talent as far as offensive skill positions go. Um, they've got some experience at receiver. They've got some talented receivers. Uh, Devin Carter could be, uh, could blossom into, you know, a 1,000-yard, 10-plus touchdown kind of guy. But he's, he's always, I think, had that potential, and he's played a lot, and he's just never really – broken through i'm not sure that thayer thomas is like the you know game breaking playmaker type uh number one receiver porter rooks you know has maybe that that talent in there but uh, similar to carter just hasn't you know broken out quite yet and and that's not to say that they couldn't uh break out i mean they, they certainly could but i just I kind of have to see it to believe it. And and I sort of feel that way about the running back position as well. I mean, I think Jordan Houston a couple of years ago got uh, some playing time and, and really showed some good things, but he's been stuck behind um, uh, who is it person and, and uh, oh gosh, uh, Zonovan Knight and Ricky person who've been a really, really good one, two punch there and just hasn't, you know, had a whole lot of opportunity to show what he can do much lately, and and they haven't really needed uh, anybody else. So it's just a little bit of an unknown. Um, so I'm just I'm just not sure that the supporting cast for Devin Leary, plus the fact that they lost one of the best uh, offensive linemen in college football, everybody else is back up front, but the the best one is is gone. Um, I just you know there are some questions there. Uh, also, and, and I could have hit on this a little bit with Leary, you know, in the Heisman question, NC State should get out of, of the gate pretty strong. I mean, that East Carolina opener is going to be tougher maybe than, than some people think, but they should win that game. Uh, they are an underdog against Clemson, but, you know, they are a touchdown or more favored according to our numbers in six of their first seven games. So they should they beat be Clemson last year too. Yeah, for sure. And and that's a winnable game, even though we do have Clemson favored. Uh, so they should be six and one. 
if they beat Clemson, you know, seven and zero, they're probably going to be a top fifteen, maybe even fringe top ten preseason team. So you come in, you know, kind of as a, a buzzy uh, team, and they they might be if they're seven and zero, they might be in the top five. They might be in the you know by that time mid October the, the the playoff rankings start right. So they we might be talking about NC State and making a playoff run. But after their bye on October 22nd, I really don't like how the second half of the schedule sets up. They do get those first three games all at home, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest, and Boston College. And we do have them favored in all of those games. But Wake Forest has been you know, really good the last few years, uh, consistently overachieves our uh, projections. I, I've circled that Louisville game for a while going on the road at Louisville in November 19th, you know, Mikhail Cunningham can, uh, or Malik, I screwed it up again. Uh, <laughs> Cunningham can, can just sort of, you know, put that team, Malik Cunningham, sorry, can put that team on his back, do some special things. Uh, they are going to be a thorn in a lot of people's side. And then at North Carolina to end the season. So every game is winnable on NC State's schedule, but they have half a dozen losable games. Like yeah. if they go 10 and two, I would say, okay, they probably lost to Clemson and then they might've lost to Florida State, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest, Boston College, Louisville, or North Carolina. I mean, they, they could lose any of those games. So right now, the way our projections set up, uh, based on the, the individual projected point spreads and the, the projected winning percentages, because of those point spreads, we have in that final five games, uh, NC State expected to win 3.2. So on average, we would expect NC State to go three and two in that final five. And, you know, that's going to probably cost you a, a New Year's six spot, especially if you lost to Clemson earlier. So nine and three is just not going to do it. Yeah, I mean, you know, the only game that NC State really got beat bad last year was against Mississippi State. That's it. So the, they lost that game uh, 10, 10 to 24, but the, their other losses, they lost by one to Miami and they lost by three to Wake Forest and, you know, Wake Forest obviously ranked at that point last season. So, you know, uh, they did have a hiccup game. Uh, really their hiccup game was against Louisiana Tech where they only won by a touchdown. I, I assume they're much bigger. Uh, favorites than uh, seven points against La Tech uh, last year. But, you know, um, it seems like the hiccup game in that stretch because you can see them winning every single game here. But like Nick said, half a dozen potential losses as well here, Xavier. So what do you think? What is the biggest thing standing in the way? Is it the schedule? Is it the personnel? Is it a mix of all of them? Is it the one hiccup game? What do you think stands in their way the most from them making a New Year's uh, Six Bowl? themselves like you know to, to answer that pretty lightly yeah i think it's like you said it's a mixture of all of it but i think more importantly it's going to be exactly what you just alluded to is them not slipping up their schedule and we, we mean this and i won't say we because i don't speak for everybody on here i mean this should be i won't say a complete cakewalk but let's just say a, you know let, let's say a cake job like it, it, they should be able to do something with this schedule that in, that ends in them winning double digit games i'm just going to keep completely honest right Outside of Clemson, outside of Clemson, I don't really see the game in which they should, they should lose. Yeah. yeah, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't. You know, maybe, maybe the you know, as we talked about last year, maybe rivalry gets to an UNC 
you know, with, you know, just is able to sneak up on them at the end of the year. Right. Maybe Louisville has figured it out around, you know, defensively. And, you know, Lee Cunningham is playing, you know, his butt off. So possibly there is a trap game as well. Maybe Phil Yurkovich, you know, has really decided to take that next step as a quarterback, you know, now being completely healthy and Boston College looks better than what they did last season. There's a lot of ifs, right? There's a ton of ifs. And the two big games that they have are at Clemson October 1st, and the next one is against Wake Forest November 5th. Both of those, you know, the game against Wake Forest, I would probably give more of an edge to Wake Forest if they weren't at home, NC State. You know, NC State's at home in that game. NC State gets a lot of the bigger games at home. They get Florida State at home. They get Boston College, like I alluded to earlier, at home. They get Texas Tech to begin the year off at home. So I think that, like I said, if NC State stays focused and doesn't beat themselves, they'll be fine. They'll be a team that ends up competing um, in their division for the ACC. Like I said, obviously you got to beat Clemson, you got to beat the big dogs to get to the uh, to the title game, but they should be able to do so. Um, I, I like Devin Leary. I like what they have from a personnel standpoint. And as long as they keep their head on straight and they don't lose, you know, two games back to back to, you know, Syracuse and Virginia Tech where they just forgot how to play football, well, they'll be fine. You know, and they, they should absolutely, at the very least, make a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah, I mean, the it's uh... – it's a brutal stretch at the end there, uh, as far as the ACC can be, but, um, you, you see it both ways. You see, you see how they can get there, but you can see, uh, potential stumble points as well here. Uh, I like this one too, Nick. Um, the anonymous coaches roast ASU in this year's Athlon preseason magazine. Uh, so should there be an adjustment made in the CFP winning edge model for, you know, knowing that this locker room is kind of in flux and, you know, just knowing, uh, you know, people involved in the organization. I know there was a lot of, you know, just put good film, put good film together this year. And, you know, so when you go into the transfer pool, someone, uh, you know, uh, someone wants, you know, someone wants you, you can go, you can go there. So there was a lot of that going on. A lot of the coaching staff stayed the same, though. Obviously, Antonio Pierce's uh, seems to be the fall guy, and he's out. But uh, what do you think about ASU, Nick? Do do you want to make your first? You know, before diving in, do you want to make an adjustment on them? I've thought about it. Um, in in the early stages of of our history, I uh, had a, a little button I could push that that kind of. Uh, I could put a little opinion in there and and say like oh this team quit right and and I argue with myself internally sometimes on on whether or not I should do that again because there are some teams that just you know the the way we calculate things um, either there are blind spots or what works for ninety five percent of teams um, just doesn't on on others and and when there is just something so obviously, um, you know, just impacting a program. Um, it's it makes a little sense, I think, to to want to downgrade them a little bit. And I've said before, it could be a scenario where this becomes sort of a rallying uh, thing for the locker room, where it's you know us versus the world sort of thing, but but. You can't really rely on that as as I think the most uh, likely outcome. So I'm I'm going to try to uh, keep myself from 
tinkering too much. Yeah. I will say, you know, when we talk about Arizona State week to week, and I'm sure, you know, there'll probably be a team where I'm like, yeah, all the models agree, Arizona State this week. Uh, and they're just going to put up <laughs> a dud. Yeah. Right. And, and so I'm, I'm probably going to say, uh, quite often, I think we're too high on Arizona state. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to try to avoid making any, you know, major changes or, or trying to treat a team very different than, than the other 130 teams. Um, just because, They've, they've got some things going on, but it's it's a concern because this is a uh, I mean, I don't know if you guys read the, the comments. There have been some screenshots out there. I haven't I haven't got my hands on on my magazine yet, but uh, I mean, they don't you know, <laughs> it's it's uh, no punches pulled. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So it's it's going to be a, a really, really interesting season for Arizona State to see what they look like on the field. Um, one, because, you know. The depth is just so bad. Uh, two, they have two new coordinators. Antonio Pierce and Zach Kill are, are both uh, were both let go as as part of this, um, and they just haven't been playing up to, to expectations the last couple of years. Uh, so it's it's uh, it's a tricky one. I don't know exactly what to do, but I I think I'm going to try to step back and, and just let the numbers do their thing and and just know in my head that that we're probably a little too high on Arizona State again. Xavier, what what do you think? It's it's hard. The in, immeasurables are are hard, you know, to quantify. That's why they're called immeasurables, right? So, it, it's it's hard to really nail this down. Uh, right. You've you've been in a locker room in a college scenario here, so uh, you bring a little more light and experience to this than Nick and I. So, what do you think about potentially maybe tinkering, moving stuff down, or? curbing expectations for ASU while the coaching staff seems to be in flux. And obviously it shakes things up in the locker room. Yeah. I mean, you either go one way or the other in the locker room, right? You're either going to allow this to affect you immensely and your locker room then become separated and, you know, everybody's disjointed and then it becomes a team of me's where, you know, they're just going to go out there and try to get their stats up and, you know, help themselves out for later when they want to transfer. Or you're going to get a team that bands together, even against the coaches. I've been on a team that does that. Uh, that bands together against the coaches, against the you know the AD, the whole nine, and against the school, and it's like we're gonna win, and this is just gonna be an f you to you guys because we're the ones doing it, and you guys really have no say so, you know, uh, you know, just a quick, you know, a couple of the the things from the the article, you know, uh, it was one of the things said it was this is the biggest dumpster dumpster fire in college football, it's absolutely mind blowing that Herm is still employed, at least in the mind of college of uh, the college coaching community, everyone knows it's a ticking time bomb, but no one knows if it's gonna go off in a month or a year from now. So, you know, and that's just one of the snippets uh, of what was in there. But, you know, I mean, just to be fair too, and I didn't mean to cut you off, Xavier, but, uh, you know, we know that college football coaches will stick their foot in their mouth when they're not anonymous. Right. That's what Nick Saban just did, you know, and, and obviously Jimbo Fisher had a lot of fire back his way. So, and that's not anonymous quote. So anytime yeah. you're willing to let someone say something anonymously, you know, you, you think you're getting no holds barred and people are saying whatever, but you just might catch a coach in a bad mood saying something weird. And now it's a quote. Now it's up on bulletin boards and things like that. So, you know, just because a couple people said this mm -hmm. doesn't mean everyone's thinking it as well. So sorry. Yeah. I just wanted to point that out. No, but when, when you're a player in that locker room, you know, you know, yeah. like you're right. 
doesn't mean that everybody feels that way. But it, like I said, it either goes one way or the other. You either feel as a player that as a as a as a university as a as a system, the walls are closing, kind of closing in on you. You kind of can feel it. You can feel it. And, and more than anything, they'll feel it game first home game. If those kids don't come out, if their student body does not sit back and support them, that's when you begin to feel it the most. But once again, as a locker room, as a as a group of players, you're either gonna say, you know, we don't care. You know, we're going to play regardless. You know, I, I can speak to my, my, you know, the university I went to, you know, my second year there, it was, we don't care. We don't care if y'all don't come to the games. We don't care that the coaching staff don't like us. We don't care that the the the, the dean at the time was on was on our butts a little bit. We didn't care about any of that. We were going to go out there and win games and we made the playoffs, right? You know, so like it was one of those situations where we kind of just banded together and we're like, we don't care if y'all don't like us. We don't care what the situation is saying. But there's also a point to be had that says, this could all crumble down and the kids could be like, we don't want to be here. This situation is untenable and right. we just don't care anymore. I'm just going to try to go get my stats up because what else is there for me to be playing for? Right. Right. And you know, uh, most of the time between the lines is between the lines, you know, yeah. and that's, you're, you're just getting after it. And, and you know, there, there's no, there isn't room for half stepping on the field. So, you know, most of the time the talent's going to win out there regardless so uh it has to get really ugly and i just you know with all of the outward ugliness it could be there but um i i don't think it is i think a little bit of this is off season excuse me early preseason uh, <laughs> uh hyperbole so i, I think it's not that early anymore okay well it when when <laughs> when i bet you when those quotes were taken it was pretty early so that was from uh, yeah know, spring uh, i think mostly right yeah Right, exactly. So uh, another good one here. Michigan State has been red hot in recruiting recently after two four-star commitments Tuesday. The Spartans ranked number eight in two four in the 247-2023 class rankings. Finish this sentence, Nick. If Michigan State establishes itself as a top 10 recruiter, the Spartans blank. What would that what would fill in the blank be for you for Michigan State? I the the where my mind wants to go first feels crazy because Ohio state is still there. Michigan is still there, even though uh, I think Michigan state does actually have the, the ability to pass Michigan. If they continue to root it or recruit at this level, I want to say Michigan state could win a national championship. I, I think that uh, the ceiling there is much higher than a lot of us thought. Probably, uh, the the last you know decade or, or basically the the Mark D'Antonio era. Even though they did go to a playoff, um, they never really just felt like an actual national championship type contender. But I mean, Mel Tucker is doing some really really impressive things on the recruiting trail and it doesn't look like at least yet there's really any sign of, of it stopping. And, and, you know, they were able to uh, have a, a, an incredible jump in their win total last year. Um, they were in our way of, of evaluating things, not quite as good as their final record would indicate. And as a result, our preseason uh, projections for Michigan State aren't as high as you might expect for a you know 10 win uh, New Year's six type team but 
I don't know, man. I mean, I, I, I spent a little time in Lansing, Michigan. It, it did appeal to me. I could see how it would appeal to, uh, high school players, even though it is a little cold at times, it's a, it's a really beautiful place a lot of the time. And, and, um, I don't know. I think, I think he can, uh, if Mel Tucker stays and he's got, you know, a big long-term deal now. So it's, it's likely that, that, uh, there aren't too many places to go up as far as, as, uh, that sort of compensation goes. Um, I don't know. I think he, I think he could get it done. If they develop into a consistent top 10, uh, recruiter and, you know, continue to do the transfer portal, which they've done well under his watch. I mean, obviously you have to take that to the field, but I think last year was a, a, a big indicator that they can win games, you know, not just recruit. So I, I think the sky's the limit personally for Michigan. I, completely agree with you wholeheartedly they started out eight no last year they're ranked as high as five they obviously had the huge hiccup against purdue and they got smoked by ohio state but they beat michigan last year right so um i think national title is absolutely i and i think this for all p5 teams i think if you're a p5 team and for lack of a better term you get your s together and you recruit well and you go undefeated within your conference you can contend for a national championship. Uh, I think there's teams that we never, uh, you know, I don't know that anyone expects Vanderbilt to ever do that. Right. Like, but if Vanderbilt, for whatever reason, started to get, uh, you know, have the same dominance in football that they do in baseball, then, you know, they're playing an sec schedule. They're beating all the tough sec teams. You can play for a national title. If you're Vandy, I think all power five teams could be in there. If they got it together, Michigan state is getting it together. Here's Xavier. What do you think about Michigan State and how would you end this sentence if you know they they get to recruiting and they're constantly top 10 in recruiting do you think a national championship could be in the works for them Man that's <laughs> tough and, and it's not because I don't think that it's in the cards I just when I look at Ohio State Ohio State just consistently is there right like this doesn't feel like Ohio it State's feel, top two talent. Yeah, like, it, like they, this doesn't feel like in the mid 2010s where it was like, okay, Florida State's this traditional power in the ACC, but here comes Clemson. It felt like, you know, and you felt like, okay, maybe Florida State after they lose Jameis Winston could fall off a little bit. Ohio State, you're like, yeah, you know, CJ Stroud's going to leave after this year and they're probably replenishing with another five star. All right. Like, I just don't see the, 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 the drop off from one of their competitors being Ohio State right now, maybe Michigan State's able to put a team together that goes on a, you know, an Auburn-like run, right? That goes on a, you know, uh, you know, a, a Georgia-like run last year where they're just better than everybody else, right? That's possible. But to become a sustained, like, top eight team in the country for Michigan State, maybe in a couple of years, what I will say is this. What should scare everybody, and this, especially in the Big Ten, is not just that Mel is starting to get these top 10 classes, but where he's starting to get these top 10 classes from. You look at their, you know, I, I went to uh, I went to 2019, which was uh, Mark D'Antonio's last year at Michigan State, and I scrolled down and I kind of went back and just, just wanted to look at his, some of his recruiting classes, not necessarily where they were ranked because they were always mid-20s uh, or, or early 30s, but where he was getting those kids from. And there were a lot of Michigans, a lot of Ohio State, a lot of Ohio, a lot of Illinois. Mel's getting them from Florida. 
Texas, Tennessee, Georgia. He's going right into your backyards and taking away kids in some of the best, you know, high school states in the country. And that is as, as a, you know, as a T, as I, if I was a fan of Nebraska, even if I was a fan of Michigan, that's what would scare me is the fact that he's starting to get the kids that a team in the Midwest that, you know, has to sell on the fact that it's only warm for four games out of a 12 game season. It's starting to get kids from Florida to buy into a team where they're going to have to go play into the snow. It's starting to get kids from Texas to say, you know what? Playing in Michigan might not be that bad. And that's the scary part. Cause if you continue, if you can continue to do that, then you get a team that's going to always be like Michigan State, Ohio State, Michigan State, Ohio State. And Michigan has to do a better job this year in particular of taking the team that they had and growing on what they were able to do last season. And a lot of people are going to be focusing on Michigan for that obvious reason because they were finally able to get it over the hump against Ohio State. But Michigan State just kind of working along, you know, just kind of, you know, scheming in the back. And in like two years, in like 2025 or 2024, 2025, wouldn't be surprising if they had a team that genuinely competed for a national championship. I just think it's going to take a little bit because Ohio State is just that dominant, and I don't see them falling off anytime soon. Now, I think people probably back in 2014 said the same thing about Florida State, but Ohio State feels a little bit more foolproof when I say that. Yeah, and it's also a lot of, you know, we've seen Ohio State be successful for a long time, you know, so it's hard. The the longer you stay at the top, just like Saban, you know, in Alabama, the the harder it is to see when the fall is going to come. You yeah. know, so uh, I completely understand that. And Ohio State's done it in a in a coach transition too. They went from Miami right, to and, day, and that's the thing you know. is, uh, is you felt like Ohio State. The opportunity to really knock Ohio State off of their perch was like 2014 to 20, to maybe 2014 ish, right after the suspension, where that yeah. you know, right after all of that, and then obviously Tressel has to step down and all this other stuff goes on, you go, maybe that was a time that you could have caught them slipping. Now they feel like they've got their feedback under them. Now they feel like they're back, you know, to, to, to not just prominence, but, you know, top of the country, you know, like Nick said, top two recruiting classes, top two talent every single year. And the only way that they're beating themselves, that the only way that they're losing games is in the fashion they did against like Michigan last year, where they just don't come to play or whatever have you. So, that is the reason why I say that for Michigan State, that it's going to be a little bit more difficult for them to just like get to the top of the Big Ten and be there, you know, be there, you know, convincingly for a, a four to seven year span. Yeah, I'm I'm with you for sure. I think that's definitely in the realm of possibility. Last one before we get to impactful transfers. Iowa is currently a seven point favorite versus South Dakota State in week one. According to our projections, what other FBS opponents should be on upset alert versus FCS teams in week one. And, uh, you know, I think most of these for the, you know, when you look at them, it can be a little bit eye rolling, right? Where you go, no FBS teams, but Montana, it was a Montana state beat Washington state or Montana or Montana, Montana beat Washington. Yeah. Yeah. Washington. Be, yeah. be Washington. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Be Washington week one. Nobody saw that happening at all it wasn't i don't remember seeing it on anyone's radar at all i think all we were doing was watching <laughs> we that washington door. favorite in every regular season game last year yeah washington was overrated but you still think they're going to be montana right, right. like sure. you know uh and i think even when it was happening we were watching the box score going well washington's gonna start scoring That's yeah like eventually game. you thought they were just gonna turn it on 
And it never did. Yeah, just the light never came on. So this is I think week one is probably the most likely scenario that something like this is going to happen because the FCS team gets to prep for the FBS team the whole offseason. You get to install offenses and packages and uh, hammer it and hammer it and hammer it and hammer it the entire offseason. So I think week one is the most likely scenario for these things to play out. So Nick, do you have any ones that um, are close and you could see it, uh, you know, a couple bounces go the right way. You see the FCS beating the FBS team in week one. Yeah, I think we, we generally see at least one or two a season and, and week one is certainly like you mentioned a, an opportunity. Um, I was alerted to this uh, Michael Calabrese, uh, Posted something today on Twitter that that he says South uh, South Dakota State will upset Iowa in the opener, and South Dakota State, you know, top five ish FCS program. Uh, we are doing a little bit more work uh, on FCS teams this year. Our projections, uh, point spread projections, are, are a little more um, in line, probably with the true team strength of, of the FCS teams. And I do want to actually dive in a little bit more if if time permits to to build out some uh more team profiles and and you know at least uh get together a, a little bit more uh a deeper look at, at fcs um programs i've had several people reach out to me in the past about um expanding our our uh projections to include more fcs stuff but um I was a little surprised when I went and looked at the numbers and actually that, that South, the, South Dakota State, as good as they are, uh, was within, you know, a, a touchdown and, and uh, thereabouts of a team that, I mean, Iowa, what, 10-win team last year at, at points was ranked as high as number two in the uh, national, you know, in the AP poll, I believe. So it's it's surprising in a lot of ways, but Iowa has you know struggled at times in the past with FCS opponents. Um, so this is certainly, I think, high on the list if if we're going to see an upset because South I mean South Dakota State just drilled Colorado State last year, right? I mean it just wasn't even close. Um, and Iowa's not you know super talented in a lot of the ways that we measure those things and plays a style of football that can keep things close in the fourth quarter. So it's certainly an option. Uh, but a couple of other week one games that jumped out to me um, because of this. I mean, we mentioned that Nebraska plays in week zero. Uh, they're playing a conference opponent in week zero. They're playing in Ireland. And then they turn around and play North Dakota the following week at home north dakota who finished last season uh what in in the uh sp plus fcs rankings um they were like a, a top 10 level team um 17 excuse me so a top 20 uh team but that's you know when you when you talking about a team that might be jet lagged the north dakota i don't believe uh plays anyone in in week zero so they will be focused entirely on nebraska all off season whereas nebraska is focusing on northwestern uh leading up to it and then has sort of a you know it, it is a full week but a shortened week because of travel uh coming after i, I think that's a sneaky one that 
we should watch out for. And and if Nebraska loses that game, I mean that that could be the end of the Scott Frost era, right there. Um, <laughs> I think you know Richmond is is capable of of jumping up and and uh, I I really didn't mean to to make this pun, but to bite somebody. Uh, oh, the spiders, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I, sorry, I had to, but they were, That's a tough one. Now. <laughs> they were 21st in, in, uh, those FC, uh, FCS SP plus, uh, ratings last year. Virginia's, you know, lost some, uh, lost some guys, new head coach. That offensive line is, is a real trouble spot, even though they've got a lot of talented offensive playmakers. The defense was really, really bad last year. Um, and not sure there are a lot of signs that they're going to be a, a big turnaround quickly on that side of the ball. So that's one that I would be, you know, at least somewhat nervous if if you're a Virginia fan um, for that one. New Mexico offensively was just absolutely dreadful last year. And so Maine, even though they're not a, a top 25 type team, probably they have had success in the past and, and I've, I mean, they beat an FBS team last year, beating UMass. So um, they won't be intimidated. So that's certainly one. Uh, and then maybe uh, if we're if we're kind of really playing out the uh, how bad will the off season off the field stuff uh, impact Arizona State? I know Northern Arizona is not great. I mean, they were in the fifties, I believe, in, in SP plus last year. Um, but they beat Arizona last year. They could they could make it uh, two in a row over in-state FBS opponents, knock off Arizona State in week one. I don't know. Could be one to watch. What, what do you think, Xavier? Is there a game in particular here that you say, uh, hey, look, this, um, this is one that I see oh, yeah. can happen for an FCS team? Who is it? Yeah, so we got Morgan State at Georgia Southern. That's actually, I think, going to be a competitive game. Not just me slandering Georgia Southern in the slightest. Not me at all. Um, then mm-hmm. I, I, I like Nichols versus South Alabama. Uh, I think Nichols State is a team that consistently has to play, you know, FBS teams. They played Georgia a couple of years ago. This is a team that played Memphis last year. They barely lost to a Louisiana team last year, 24 to 27. Uh, you know, so I think they're going to be a team that could be up for that and, and definitely has an opportunity, you know, to, to, to make a to get a win over an SP, uh, uh, Sun Belt team. Once again, this is not me hating on the Sun Belt teams. It's just me thinking that this is what happens. Yeah. And this is this is for Scott. This is just for me being toxic. But Sam Houston against Texas A&M. Why not? You know, I think that's a game. Why not? Yeah, that's a game that could be 14-14 going into halftime. Um, and A&M's <laughs> quarterback woes have really come back to bite them in the butt. You know, I you know I wouldn't be too terribly shocked if you know the fire gym, hashtag fire Jimbo. Was around Twitter come halftime because that game isn't a much of a blowout. <laughs> you know uh, who was it last year that was up on Florida by at halftime? I oh. was. I I don't remember who it was, but I remember I was in Austin because that was the same week Texas lost to Kansas. Is the oh. same day. So um, was that? Oh God, I can't remember who it was. Who? Someone got drafted out of that. Uh, it was Samford. Samford. Yes. Right. So you know who knows? I mean, Samford was up forty-two to to. to, to uh, 35 by at halftime of that game, and they finished four and six last season. So, you know, like at the end of the day, when you know Sam Houston comes in with you know a, a, a devastating attack, and you know Texas A&M's not looking for them or not like you know looking to compete, and all of a sudden they 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 you know drop a game. Now, do I actually think that's going to happen? Probably not, but it's a possibility. Uh, South Dakota versus Kansas State. 
got to be another one. Uh, South Dakota is a team I think once again has that FBS pedigree of playing a lot of FBS teams and will not have an issue against them uh, in that game. And last but not least, and once again, this is just me being toxic, Mercer at Auburn. Oh, whatever. I look the SEC teams aren't losing, so uh, I I don't I don't think that that's going to happen at all. Why, why not? Why why not? Why why wouldn't Auburn? It could be absolutely terrible in week one. We don't know what their quarterback situation. What was the last time a non-Vandy SEC team lost to uh, an FCS team? Georgia State, ten- oh, you said Georgia State. Oh, yeah, yeah. Said Georgia State Tennessee. Come on, come on. Uh, didn't didn't uh, it was, no, that was four. Arkansas ago. lose to one a couple of years ago. Maybe I, I'm not. I'm lost not to Texas. Texas. I don't know. It's 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 rare for sure. You yeah, know, it could happen. Yeah. I mean, Look, Florida lost to Jackson State a couple years. Jackson, you know, I mean, it's possible. Uh, let's see. Florida fell at Georgia Southern 26 to 20 in 2013. Ah, yeah, yeah. Florida. Ole Miss uh, lost to Jacksonville State 49 48 in double overtime in 2010. And uh, South Carolina South Carolina lost at home to Citadel. When did that happen? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was that recently? This says last year. Was that? I don't know when no, this is just punching crazy. it into Google though. So I don't know. This article is probably uh forever ago. Oh, this article is written six years ago. So it must have been 2015. Yes. When that happened. So it's just paying uh, off. Yeah. Oof, what a roster. Yeah. So you know, uh November 2015. Not impossible, but rare. Hey, it's, it's, it's was up on Alabama for a quarter. It's always possible. Yeah. Uh, Stranger things have happened. We'll say that. Uh, not many, but stranger things have happened. All right, Nick, let's talk about our most impact uh, impactful transfers for the 2022 season. Uh, we're going to go one through five. I think I probably have the least to say. Uh, and I just, I have a hard time not picking quarterbacks. Yeah, same. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I have one non-quarterback. My okay. non-quarterback in number five, would be Zach Evans to Ole Miss for me. And I just think that we've seen the running back position be huge for a Lane Kiffin offense, uh, right? I mean, Devin Singletary at FAU was obviously enormous. Last year, you kind of split it between Jerry Neely and Snoop Connor, both gone to the NFL now. Uh, and I also think it's huge for Zach Evans for himself and getting his draft stock up because TCU seems to be doing him, uh, seems seem to be doing him uh, no favors at all. So, my number five would be Zach Evans. That's my only non-quarterback, though. My four, three, two, and one, all QBs. And number four, Quinn Ewers. I mean, mainly because I have to say him. Uh, I don't know how much the, you know, Casey Thompson was a good quarterback. And I would say he was good, but not great. I don't think he was a guy that is going to lift your team. Obviously, he's not a team that can, you know, cover a bad defense. You know, guys like Joe Burrow, Bryce Young, those are guys that could do that. I mean, Bryce Young didn't have to. Joe Burrow didn't have to either. That team, the team overall was good, which is why they won a national title. But, you know, uh, I don't think Quinn Ewers is going to come in and do for Texas what Bailey Zappi did for Western Kentucky. You know what I mean? So, um, he, it is a big time move. And, you know, Texas has been struggling at the QB position for a while. Casey Thompson was good, but not great. And I do think Quinn Ewers has that upside to be great. So uh, I don't think it, it will happen. I, you know, this is impactful. I don't know how impactful it will be year one, but I do think after you get that first year starting under your belt, year two, year three could be huge 
for Quinn. So I think he has to be in here just because he's going to a really good offense. Um, my other three are yeah, Dylan Gabriel. Oklahoma lost so much. They lost so much with, uh, you know, obviously Lincoln Riley um, and our, I'm assuming who's going to be our number one transfer also going to USC uh, for all of us. But Dylan Gabriel was so good at UCF. I was really uh, getting excited about his potential NFL future, you know, with my Steelers looking for a quarterback this year, obviously they landed on Pickett, but I was getting excited about the potential for Dylan Gabriel and he got hurt with the ankle injury uh, and moved with Brent Venables over to, um, you know, Oklahoma and they, they need something cause they lost so much. It really feels like Oklahoma lost a lot of steam. Lincoln Riley did this kind of, you know, seemingly out of nowhere uh, and they lost a lot, but Venables coming over and getting himself a quarterback. I think is going to be huge for them to stay on top in the big 12. So I think Dylan Gabriel, uh, you know, he's my number three, my two in one, are not a surprise to anyone. Spencer Rattler going to South Carolina. I just, when was the last time South Carolina had a QB that had the potential of Spencer Rattler? Obviously, we've seen what happens when, you know, Rattler doesn't get his way. He's a crybaby, not really a team player, all that stuff. I think that's all fair. I think these are fair things to say about Rattler. And that's not me coming from my Texas love. I mean, the guy's not in Oklahoma anymore. I don't really care. That's from seeing him on QB one and all, all that stuff. He just seems like a little bit of a diva. So, but the talent is enormous for Rattler. So South Carolina, you know, they win historically recently have won on the um, strength of their defense. Their offense has kind of been, uh, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust. And, you know, when we get into a real scrape, do we have a QB that can pull us out of it? Not really. So I don't know if Spencer Rattler is going to be the guy, but I know he's the best potential that they've had at that position in a decent amount of time. And then number one for, I believe is going to be everyone is USC. Apparently not. Uh, Xavier shaking his head, but um, Caleb Williams going to USC, just him taking his play style with Lincoln Riley is such a big move. I think it's just as impactful as WKU and Bailey Zappi last season. Obviously the new coaching staff, going over there, um, Bailey Zappi coming in and then setting the NCAA record for uh, passing touchdowns in a season. I don't know that Caleb Williams is going to come in and set any records, but he is going to set the tone for USC and this offense. Um, and, you know, they have to they have to score points, and they're going to with Caleb Williams as well. So that's my top five. I mean, you know, Nick, if you would have said – top five quarterbacks, I would have taken out Zach Evans, put another QB in. It wouldn't have been very difficult because obviously it's the most impactful position, but the question is laid out as the most impactful. So I know you want to go last year, but what do you think about my top five? Did I miss anywhere? Well, so I, I have tried to uh, mix it up just a little bit. I, I certainly agree that, you know, the quarterbacks are going to be, um, the pound for pound, yeah, yeah, just the the biggest impact. And and I this all started in my head because I made a somewhat hyperbolic statement on Twitter uh, where I was I was you know my number two. I, I eventually talked myself out of it. He probably couldn't be number one um, just because quarterback is is 
you know, at least one in particular quarterback could make a, a not very good team into a playoff team. So, yeah. Uh, so I agree, you know, you, you're, you're probably putting the right weight on it. I just tried to, I guess, be a little, be a little different and, and maybe make a case for uh, some of my, you know, favorite players or, or some of the ones who are yeah. uh, playing in a different position. But I think, yeah. yeah, I can't, I can't argue too much with you. And I mean, if you're just looking at logically, maybe a good quarterback going to a bad team, you know, we're talking about impactful. How many more wins does USC get because of Caleb Williams? Two or three? It could be a six win difference for a QB going to a team with one zero wins, you know, and lifting the entire offense up. So that's my five, Xavier. Uh, I mean, how far down? Well, I guess I'll just let you go five through one. I won't ask questions. Until yeah, no. So five on my list is uh, Jameer Gibbs. Going to Alabama, uh, I think he's the most complete back Alabama's had since Najee Harris. I know that's not that uh, too long ago, uh, but I do think he's probably the best receiving back they've had in a long time. Uh, I think also with you know Alabama only returning 25% of their rushing production last year, that's going to be massive for him. He's a home run guy. That's something Alabama hasn't had in a while, a guy who you just give the ball and he can go and rope off 60 yards and actually can do that consistently. Um, so I'm excited to see what he does as long as it's not against Georgia. I'm excited to see what he does uh, for Alabama, and I think he's going to fill a hole that they were desperately needing to fill coming to camp. Um, fourth on my list is uh, Quinn Ewers, and I think Quinn Ewers' impact is, for me, maybe maybe if we said impactful transfers for, you know, on just this season, I might not even have had him on the list. I, I just, you know, I think what he'll end up doing at Texas is massive. Texas has needed a face of their, you know, university at the quarterback position in a long time. They've needed it. They haven't had it consistently probably since Ellinger left and, you know, a couple of years ago. And I think that Quinn Ewers fills that hole in more than just a quarterback situation. I think he's somebody that Texas fans are going to be able to rally around. And I think when Texas is good, it makes college football better, a better product, especially when they're able to challenge in the Big 12. Amen. Yeah. I mean, yeah. This, this is the most compliments I'm going to give Texas maybe all year. Um Third on my list, <laughs> third on my list um, is Spencer Rattler. I think Spencer Rattler is going to be hugely important to South Carolina. Once again, they haven't had a quarterback at South Carolina since I was in high school. I'm 26 now, to give you an idea. Like South Carolina's quarterback situation has been a revolving door for years. Um, on top of that, it's also hugely important uh, for 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 their for Chain Beamer at uh, at South Carolina to create a you know a consistent product there and let's be honest and even though I'm biased the SEC East is more fun when it's a four-team league when it's Tennessee South Carolina Georgia and Florida than when it's just Georgia and Florida as it has been you know growing up with Steve Spurrier and guys at South Carolina made it more fun it just did yes it was also you know annoying but it made it more fun that these games were more competitive than when you play South Carolina in there you know you know it's funny I just looked up the South Carolina like uh quarterback records mm -hmm. uh todd ellis played from 86 to 89 he led in yards uh, after that was steve tanny hill t-a-n-e-y hill 88 <laughs> 87 82 he played from 92 to 95 after that steven garcia jake bentley connor shaw like guys yep. that have played you know garcia was 08 to 10 uh, but Bentley, obviously, 2016 to 2019. Connor Shaw from 2010 to 2013. So, uh, you know, the 2000s, they've never really had a good quarterback. 
Yeah. I mean, Todd Ellis was great, you know, but he played in the eighties. No, no, no one that if you're under 40, you're not going to remember these guys. Right. No, you know, you'll still see, by the way, occasionally a state, uh, Steve Tannehill, like wig hat. Oh yeah. With the the mullet behind. Oh yeah. Yeah. Pretty pretty famous mullet. Steve Tannehill. Yeah. Yeah. Tannehill. Right. 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 Oh yeah. No. All right. I just wanted to mention that. No, you're fine. Uh, Second on my list is Dylan Gabriel from Oklahoma. Because he essentially saved Oklahoma's offense this year, I genuinely think Oklahoma was in dire need of something of a pulse on the offensive side of the field. Um, and with him being there, you know, him going there, it's helped out Venable, you know, immensely. It's helped out his own career. He might be able to turn himself into a uh, first-round draft pick if he has a good enough year. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, um, and and he his the impact was not just with Oklahoma, but it'll be felt by himself because this is a guy who genuinely needed. You know, another year after you uh, or after you uh, UCF, so I, I think that's massive for him as well as just for for Oklahoma. And I don't have Caleb Williams on my list. I don't. I genuinely don't. Number what? one on my list is JT Daniels at West Virginia. That's not even close. This oh is the, uh, my yeah, god! Yeah, yeah. I mean, god. yes, I don't have. Caleb How many Williams. games are he gonna play, Xavier? Three no, no, before no, no, he gets hurt. Whole season. Let's 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 get down to right. And this is impact for not only West Virginia because name me the last good West Virginia quarterback that they had. Geno Smith. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, like, you know, what, 2011? So, no, how about Will Greer? Huh? Geno Smith. Pretty good. Yeah, he was okay. Will Greer got drafted. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but I, I genuinely think his impact on what West Virginia doesn't have is much, much more important than what Caleb Williams is going to do at USC. I wow. genuinely feel that way. I, uh, I, I, I that's the logic that more. I was mentioning before yeah. too. When I, I said, West "Look, Virginia you know, was, a, was possibly a three-win team coming into this year." I genuinely think they're a possible bowl team, seven and five. They may even roll off to eight and four if he's really playing at a high enough level. And there's nobody in their right mind that could have told me coming into February West Virginia okay. was going to win more than five games. I'll say this: I want to hear a little bit more. And, <laughs> and sorry, sorry to, to no, no, you. please, please go ahead. I want to hear a little bit more mm-hmm. about why Caleb Williams is not on your list. <laughs> yeah, so that is that, that's what I was going to say. Look, I'm okay with the logic of JT Daniels being number one because, like I said before, I understand that logic. It's it's a team that is rough, getting a good quarterback and potentially winning games because of him. he. In terms of wins, mm-hmm. he might mean more to West Virginia than Caleb Williams does to USC. But how can Caleb Williams not be on your list? So it was either between Caleb Williams or Demir Gibbs at five. And I just okay, Alabama's going to put a running back together that's awesome. I just awesome. wanted to be a contrarian and not have Okay, all right. Because yeah, as long as we get right? down to the root of it, well, well, is, Xavier well, has to yeah. be a contrarian. Absolutely. <laughs> but, but here's also my thing. If Caleb Williams doesn't win a national championship, has he really done anything at USC that's genuinely changing for them impact-wise? Like, like let's be honest. If they don't win, if, if, especially let's say USC doesn't win the Pac-12, what has Caleb Williams done? Even with the numbers that he will have, even with as great of a uh, as a player he could be for them this year, if USC doesn't win the Pac-12, has his transfer genuine? But it's impactful that? because Lincoln Riley went there too. It's not just him. Well, but, I mean, but it, it's, you know, it, I mean, if if they would have got. If USC would have got JT Daniels, I understand what you're saying. It's like, okay, you brought in a good QB, 
but how much more is he going to impact this team? Kay Williams knows the offense. He can come in and be a pseudo coach himself, right. you know, and, and teach the other guys on the team. This is what we do. This is how we run mm -hmm. our offense. You know, so that's why I just, that's like, just in terms of impactful, that's why yeah. I, I thought there's no way he can't be number one. I just feel like for Caleb Williams impact to genuinely be felt by the university and by on a national scale, USC has to win the Pac-12. Like that's what he has to do. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. If they go nine and three this year, Caleb Williams transferring to USC is not nearly as much of an impact, in my opinion, if, you know, I don't know, Spencer Rattler makes South Carolina relevant again. Like, I just feel like the, the, the level of impact that the quarterbacks I named have just so much more tied to them. Oklahoma without Dylan Gabriel there, and if he hits the ground running, genuinely would have, I think in a year, they genuinely could have had a situation where they went, you know, had a Clemson type year where they fell off a little bit and they were nine and three and they struggled and Texas rolls off and wins the big 12, which could have started a trickle down effect with Quinn Ewers being there for the next two to three years. That's why I had Quinn Ewers on the list. I think his impact, if he makes Texas a, you know, a, a big 12 champion or even gets close to a big 12 championship this year, that's massive, not just for right now, but for the future of what he's going to be able to do there. JT Daniels at West Virginia, like I said, West Virginia, in my opinion, was a three-win ball club before they got JT as a quarterback. Now he makes them good. Now he makes them, you know, well, first off, he makes them digestible. For, and that's going to be, you know, in its own right, going to be something that you have to be able to watch out. But if he, like I said, hits the ground running, West Virginia is now a much better outfit as well. So when I look at, when I look at Caleb Williams and, like I said, for his impact, thinking about what USC's common goal is year in and year out. It's to win the Pac-12. Like, that's what their goal is. And if they don't do that, then they've fallen short of it. Okay, let me goal. ask you this. Who, mm -hmm. is the f who, in your opinion, is the favorite to win the Pac-12? As of right now? Mm-hmm. You've got to go. You've got to go, USC. Okay. If you mm -hmm. take Caleb Williams out, is it Utah? Is it – who is it? I still think they're in the top three. Okay. Yeah. Because right now uh, in the Pac-12, it's – they are the favorite. They're plus 200 to win, so 2-1. to one. Uh, Utah is 280. Oregon's 280. UCLA is 850. So, yeah, you take Caleb Williams, they're going to have better odds probably still than UCLA because you're going to replace Caleb Williams. You know, let's just say he got hurt, right? Uh, you're going to replace him with someone who's still pretty good. So I get that. I just think the whole offense moving. I mean, you can explain it to you blue in the face. I'm just going to hear Charlie uh, Charlie Brown's parents. No, that, that's fine. You know, because you know. Well, well, here's my thing, right? So you brought up the odds aspect, right? USC last year, they were picked as the favorite to win the back back yeah. twelve, and right. that was with Keaton Slovis. So when I look at it, I'm like, okay, well, Caleb Williams is much better than Keaton Slovis, but it's just still it's the, it's the same expectations coming into the year, regardless of who's at that quarterback position. Does it change anything at all? Because I actually did just uh, to to check myself a little bit because I do have Caleb Williams number one. Spoiler alert, I guess. Uh, and I did just look at it. Okay, if we remove Caleb Williams from the USC roster and Miller Moss is your starter and Jake Jensen, who just transferred in as a Juco guy, uh, is the number two. What does that do to their uh you know, the number of games that they're favored in. And it actually didn't change because even though I, I do agree with you that USC should be the favorite, um, they're not our highest rated uh, Pac-12 team, as I mentioned before, Utah is, uh, and they play at Utah and at UCLA. So we actually do have them as underdogs, small underdogs in, in those two games. Um, but 
I, I looked at it and how much did things change? And actually they, they did. They're, they're still favored over everybody else. Um, and it's a toss up against Notre Dame, but, uh, it actually, without Caleb Williams, didn't flip anything as far as our projections go. However, so according to Nick, it, not impact. Well, so all. it's interesting. <laughs> it's, it, it, I did not expect that. I thought it would. I thought it would flip more. Um, but you know, Miller Moss was a really highly rated recruit, borderline five star guy. I mean, ninety six and a half, two four seven rating. So uh, he he hasn't necessarily impressed me the little that we've seen but you know they didn't see a a just gigantic drop off there however if caleb williams is not the quarterback mario williams isn't there jordan addison probably isn't there uh so it's it's actually more than just caleb williams it's the fact that they were able to kind of build the roster around him by you know, talking to some guys and saying, hey, come play with Caleb Williams, who could be one of the you know uh, best quarterbacks in, in college football this year. Yeah, so fair. so it's it's I, and I hadn't actually even considered that uh, before. I just was thinking to myself, OK, you know, you, you have a four and eight USC team. And if Miller Moss is your starter. Yeah, they should be a better team, uh-huh. but are they? really a Pac-12 contender without Caleb Williams. And I was thinking, you know, in my head, he could be the difference between USC just being a, you know, bowl team, improved record in Lincoln Riley's first year. And, hey, this team is good enough that they could make a playoff run if if a couple of things fall. Um, but then thinking more about it, you know, I, I think the fact that Caleb Williams is there is part of the reason why they were able to to rebuild so quickly, especially at the receiver position, but probably some other places as well. I mean, but you know, if, if Caleb Williams doesn't come, then Jackson Dart doesn't leave. So who knows what happens there? Ah, but so, he left first. But it well, was like, got, no, come on. It was thought knew. that. No, I know. I, know, I see. <laughs> yeah. What you're yeah, no, yeah, it's so, it's definitely a. That's fair though. That's a fair point. But yeah, just another another angle on it, I guess. But okay, so my my five, and I did try to avoid quarterbacks, even though I I. You know, you could do a list. You agree. Yeah, I understand. I I agree. Um, And I'm also going to argue a little bit against one of mine. Uh, Jameer Gibbs is just a favorite player. And would Alabama have been just fine without him? Absolutely. They've got, you know, other five-star running backs. Uh, But he he is just a a personal favorite and and I think is such a special player set up to have a really, really special year. Uh, So I put him at number five. I, I chose Dylan Gabriel as my second quarterback. Um, I think Quinn Ewers, you can definitely make a, an argument for. Um, uh, I think the, the you know, he raises Texas' ceiling for sure. But I think Dylan Gabriel, I really like him and a fit with Jeff Levy's offense. And they have a history together. I don't think there's going to be much of a drop-off at all. I, I just, you know, I like watching Gabriel. He, he has put up big numbers when he's been um, healthy. I just, I think he's a pretty good fit. I think he's a good fit in the offense. And, and, and I, I think he's in line to have a really, really strong season. Uh, I put Jordan Addison as number three and in, in my top wide receiver, I think in part uh, going back a little bit, obviously to the USC conversation, they were going to be good with Caleb Williams, with 
you know, Travis Dye, I think, is is a really, really exciting running back. Austin Jones gives them some depth there. And they brought in other transfers at receiver, plus brought back just about everybody. But there was no, you know, this is our number one go-to guy. This is the guy you have to stop. I think Jordan Addison brings that. He can step in and be the number one. And then other guys can, you know, fit in around, be more complimentary pieces and have a little more freedom to operate in the offense. And, and I think it, I think adding Jordan Addison might've been the key to just open everything up and, and make this USC offense, uh, you know, put everybody in their right slot and operate at its highest possible level. Will they get there? I'm not sure, but I, I feel much more comfortable and can see USC being, you know, as good as it can possibly be now that they have Jordan Addison. I still had some questions on, you know, is Gary Bryant really a number one? Is Mario Williams really a number one? Uh, that that sort of thing. But now that Addison, okay, yeah, he he's going to be um, that that top target guy probably. Uh, now I just feel like everything else is kind of falling into place. The, the player who started the whole thing for me, because I spent a lot of time this week working on spreadsheets, as I often do, uh, in our stat uh, projections database, which will be available in July, early July. Uh, but I have been putting more uh, 2021 replays of, of games on the TV in the background and, you know, catch a little bit, watch a little bit, but, but listen to... Um, more than than just watch. But I chose to spend most of Monday and Tuesday replaying Alabama games. And I had forgotten how beatable Alabama was midseason. And really, you know, toward, I mean, the Auburn game, they should have lost probably. Um, but a big reason for that is they didn't always get great play in the secondary i mean they got burnt you know against tennessee multiple times uh arkansas gave them some real trouble um i didn't even go back to the florida game but i know they they played uh alabama pretty close there but you know alabama uh was beatable a lot more than i i guess remembered because coming into this year they are our clear number one and i think have a, a chance to be you know undefeated national champion type team um but man they they struggled at times in the secondary and just guys you know out of position uh just just you know getting beat uh, look like they were lost at times and i think a, a, a player the caliber of eli ricks can come in solidify one of those corner spots and I think he's going to have a, a big, big impact, uh, kind of similar to what I said about Jordan Addison, but just the, the fact that he's going to, you know, okay, we've got that figured out. We've got our lockdown corner and everybody else is back and, and you know, we can uh, fit guys in the right spots. And I know Rick's uh, did have a little bit of legal trouble in May. So hopefully that's not going to be anything long lasting, but the more I thought about it, I mean, the more I really wanted to say, and it might be silly because quarterback is is really, you know, uh, going to equate to more wins or losses than one corner. 
But I think Eli Ricks is, is kind of flying under the radar in these transfer impact conversations. So I did want to make a point to, uh, you know, to highlight him because I, I do think, and I know Alabama had some injuries at corner, uh, especially late in the season, and, and you know, that impacted some things. But uh, if they had an Eli Ricks healthy and, and able to play all of last year, um, I don't think they would have looked as beatable, especially in, you know, against teams like Tennessee, against That's teams it. like um, uh, Arkansas and, and, and those. So I think, I think he's in the conversation for most impactful transfer, but I think if I'm, if I'm being realistic, I think it's Caleb Williams. I, I think that USC I'd feel much more comfortable in our current uh, win total projection of USC being a, you know, eight and four type team, that would make a lot more sense to me if Caleb Williams wasn't there. Now that Caleb Williams is there, I'm thinking, man, having USC 22nd in our power rankings and eight and four as far as a projected uh, final record, that seems low. This is a 10 win team or better, uh, you know, just in my own personal opinion. So I, I think, yeah, Caleb Williams is, is going to be the difference if USC can improve from four and eight to 10 wins, 11 wins, Pac-12 title, that type of thing. Um, Caleb Williams is going to be the, the reason number one and probably should should earn the credit as, as being the most impactful. If I, if I had to pick an – if I asked you to pick an offensive lineman, who would it be, Nick? Do you have one off the top of your head? Um, so offensive line, I mean, everybody wants an offensive lineman. Every team in college football could use, <laughs> uh, an offensive lineman in the transfer portal. Um, you know, off the, off the, the very top of my head. And I even built this like list to work off of, uh, and I don't <laughs> even see, I mean, Tyler Steen at Alabama, again, probably okay. flies under the radar a little bit. Um, he's the one that, that made the list here. Alabama didn't have elite offensive line play last year either. It was another reason why they came up short. And I know he's not, you know, a sexy name by any stretch. I mean, a Vanderbilt offensive lineman, you don't necessarily think, um, is going to be the key to unlocking a, a particular offense, but he should solidify the left tackle position, you know, should again, kind of let everybody else slot into their, their best excuse me, uh, their, their best slot. If I'm digging for somebody else, I mean, I know, I know Virginia is just, you know, lost everybody on the offensive line last year. And so they tried to hit the the transfer portal. So it's possible, you know, if if they're going to be a team that avoids just a, a real, uh, turn in the, the wrong direction, then John Paul Flores might be a pretty impactful uh, transfer from Dartmouth just down the road. Second Dartmouth mention here in the, in the show. Um, but that's, you know, that that's probably not the correct answer. That's just one thinking about how, uh, how much Virginia just was in dire need of offensive line this year. Um, so I, I guess, I guess Steen, uh, but, you know, I, I'm I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody who's who's probably worthy of consideration. All right. Well, that is our top five impact transfers. 
You heard it here first. Caleb Williams, not a top five impact transfer, according to contrarian Xavier Trish. So, <laughs> uh, look, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I agree with the logic of JT Daniels. I just don't agree with Caleb Williams. Not I can't. I can't, wait for, I can't wait for Caleb Williams to be holding the Heisman and me just being like, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I got that one wrong. Maybe, maybe now he's top five. <laughs> you know, maybe now he's top yeah. five. But it's, uh, it, it's look, it's, it's the preseason, right? This is the time where, uh, you know, we get all kinds of uh, clickbaity things and contrarian opinions and a lot of what ifs. You know, my my the my biggest pet peeve uh, of shows are redrafting the 2017 NFL draft class. Love like, those. what is the point? You can't go back and redo it. So I don't understand, like, just to see what these teams would have been like. You know, this isn't Marvel. So uh, you, you can't you can't do it. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But uh, look, this was a fun show. And coming up, Cyrus Torrance, right guard, former Louisiana. That might, yeah, he couldn't Florida. quit looking. He couldn't yeah. quit looking. He couldn't because then I was like, why did I say Virginia? There's got to be something. <laughs> and, and I was like, LSU lost a lot. But coming out of spring, it doesn't sound like at least right now, Miles Frazier or, or Tremont Shorts are going to be. Uh, starters, they at least didn't lock down those spots, so then ah, I'm trying to look around. So maybe, maybe Torrance at Florida that, that's a pretty that's probably go. a better one than uh, <laughs> Dartmouth transfer at Virginia. <laughs> so, uh, coming up on the schedule, starting we're gonna we're gonna do this. What we've been bouncing around ideas, obviously, a lot has been in flux with. Uh, Nick moving across the country. Uh, you know, uh, Xavier has been uh, doing a lot of traveling as well. Uh, so uh, we, we've been kicking around ideas, but we're going to next week begin team preview shows. So uh, pay attention because it's that's going to be a lot of information coming with you. We're gearing up for it. We're getting our, ourselves ready. We're getting uh, coffee to go. It, it's going to be... It's going to be a lot of fun talking uh, these these team previews. So make Cannot sure you are paying to attention. Talk New Mexico State next. Woo! Week. Yeah, we're uh, we're starting from the bottom. So <laughs> New Mexico State, uh, you're up first. You're in the queue. You're on deck. So uh, lots of uh, you know. Look, sometimes the bad teams are the most fun to talk about, though. This you is know. true. Because there's a lot of room for growth, and you could see where it could potentially come from. So. I tweeted about New Mexico State today. See, see, uh, the Twitter professional Nick Allen, uh, tweeting about New Mexico State. So, um, I'm sure to say, look, they if they were playing a, New Mexico State, they would win. Is that what it was? They added a 20 game starting safety from UNLV. They've got some sneaky good incoming transfers. Oh, man. Nick, 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 but I'll save it for next week. I'll Nick save it. Yeah, yeah, to a squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> You sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves. Right? Yeah, like, oh my, my favorite God. line from Tommy Boy. So, uh, all right. We will see you guys next week. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trish, T R I C H E for Xavier. And we will see you guys then. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.